is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features, they are completely free. So enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Straight to your phone calls we go to Eric in Texas. Eric, you are on Free Talk Live. Hey, guys. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? I ran across an interesting uh, little blurb in our local paper here in Austin uh, yesterday. Uh, When I say blurb, I mean the entire article was maybe 100 uh, words long. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was talking about uh, a series of cameras that have apparently been installed along the southern border here in Texas, uh, which I'd never heard about. Uh, So I guess they did this... uh, you know, uh, without telling anybody, because I'd never heard of the story. Uh, and it was done six months ago at a cost of $2 million. And uh, it's garnered an, a net three arrests. So uh, so how many That's cameras pretty expensive was arrest. Uh, let's see here. 1,200 Twelve hundred cameras for two million dollars. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like it was no, too no, bad no. of a price. I'm, yes, I'm but sorry, I, I misread it. Uh, three arrests, twelve hundred fewer arrests than supporters of the plan had predicted. It doesn't say how many cameras. Ah, uh, gotcha. So they're looking for border crossers. Is that the idea? I guess. Yeah. Or drug runners or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, talk about government uh, waste. Two million dollars for to arrest three whole people. Yeah, well, you know, they're not too concerned with uh, with what they spend, right? They've no incentive to uh, to be conservative uh, with their money because it's not their money; that it was your money. And Which, uh, I, I think it's funny you use the word conservative, considering that uh, even after 2006, uh, the quote unquote conservative party still has control down here. Down in Texas, sure, that yeah. figures. Well, more government waste. Anything else on your mind? No, that was it. Thanks for your call. 800-259-9231. Let's talk to Ray in New York. Ray, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Ray. Hello there. What's on your mind? Well, I was uh, a couple weekends ago, I went to uh, what they call a burn. It's like a art festival, weekend art festival. It's related to the Burning Man Festival. Cool. And I had a great time there, and I think uh, a lot of the listeners would have uh, would have a great time at these kind of events also. So I figured I'd call in and talk about it a little bit. Yeah, but sure. I mean, how does it differ from Burning Man? Obviously, that's a huge uh, festival that's out in the desert. Was it in Nevada once a year? Yeah, it's a little bit north of Reno. I've been to that one, too. From Reno, you drive maybe 200 miles north, and then in that time, you'll pass through two towns, both of which are less than 600 people. So it's pretty remote. This one was, uh, there's actually smaller events all over the country, like throughout the year. Uh, they got some in Canada. It's kind of taken off the uh, people that really enjoy the culture and the scene there. Uh, they set up their own their own events throughout the, throughout the country. So chances are that wherever people are, there's probably something within a couple hundred miles. So how does the, uh, the these little Burning Mans that you're talking about, how do they differ from, or the culture or whatever, how does it differ from, say, the Rainbow People, which are also a group of uh, folks that go around from park to park setting up uh, essentially festivals or, or parties or whatever you want to call them? Um, is it similar or are there some subtle differences? You know, I went to uh, a rainbow gathering once a long time ago, too. Um, 
there's a huge differences. I'm trying to think of how I could explain it. Uh, probably the, well, you know what? The hippies that go to the rainbow gatherings, they're all about nature and stuff. They're always in the woods. They're camping out and that kind of thing. Right. At Burning Man, someone might take a golf cart and, you know, attach a flamethrower onto it and ride around, you know, or whatever, or build a, some kind of art project. There's a big focus on building interactive art artwork for it. Hmm. Uh, so, so you get so... some serious installations. I mean, people bring stuff out there. They weld things. Uh, I went, <laughs> actually, I went, here's a good one talking about art projects. I went uh, a couple years ago into the desert in Nevada, and this guy was getting taking piano donations and loading them into his home-built trebuchet and launching these pianos over the desert, you know? He was I mean, you launching just don't know what you're pianos. It's a pian- piano catapult. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome. That is pretty far out. So so you're saying you don't see eclectic things like that at a rainbow gathering? No, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, it, that's mostly people. I mean, you know, they might have drum circles at the right. rainbow gatherings, and they're going to dance around the fire and, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they're, they're not really building anything. It's more, uh, I think rainbow gatherings are a lot more simple. So where do people who want to know more about these uh, go to get information? It sounds interesting. I'm sure there are people that would be intrigued. Yeah, it is interesting. It's uh, well, there's a web page, BurningMan.com. Burning Man is definitely the the biggest. They so had, this is an official Burning Man thing, then, basically, it's kind of splintering off from the from the main event. Yeah, the guys that uh, the kind of they don't really. I hesitate to use the word organized because it's all pretty self directed. You know, like if if you go to one of these events and you say, hmm, you know, it'd be really cool if blah 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 was there, then the answer is, well, then go and build it. You know. Yeah. There's a bunch of people with a can-do attitude, and they're just, you know, they basically create the environment they want to see, and other people come and enjoy it. But uh, at BurningMan.com, there's a, a section there you click to go to regionals, and then uh, you find the state that you're in or a state near you, and then um, I would start by emailing whatever contact info they cool, have there. Well, hey, people th- are all friendly and stuff, so yeah. I'm sure they'll help you out. Thanks for the heads up. I know that we've had some listeners who've gone out to uh, Burning Man. I'm sure they appreciate the info. Thank you for the call tonight. Right, 800-259-9231. Wayne, you're the oldest guy on the show. You ever been to one of those hippie festivals? Oh, yes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Way back when? Well, even even down Sarasota, remember, uh, they used to have the drum circle on Sunday nights at the That's beach. That's true. Yeah. Which kind was, of a mini hippie yeah, gathering. Yeah. But, but I've, I've been How about a, one of those week-long or weekend-long parties? Yeah, I've been to, I've been to a few of those. <laughs> I, I can't remember much about them. Right? <laughs> You're pretty sure you were there. I'm pretty sure I, I remember, was there. I remember the, the trip in and the, the, the ride home, right? 800-259-9231. We continue with uh, Walter listening in Washington, Walter, you are on Free Talk Live. Hi, guys. Hey, what's on your mind tonight, Walter? Well, you, you've been talking for a while about uh, people being attracted to young girls. Have I? Uh, well, on the show, it's been a, a topic of discussion for a while. Okay. What does young mean? We've been talking about uh, pedophilia, ephibiophilia, just sort of the differences there. Well, I don't necessarily mean young, like under under 12 or 13. I mean like uh, teen. Teenage girls, okay. That would be an yeah. I think file. part of I think I think part of that is because uh, the the whole the whole media and you know society in general has been driven to prefer women to be younger and more supple, and uh, and I, I think that that's that's the main reason for that is that that's what teenage girls entail is they're they're supple and they're they're. <laughs> They're perfect. Doesn't something no, mean yeah. that you can like you know that they uh, that their uh, their muscles are flexible? <laughs> well, you know what happens when you have to talk to them? Yeah, that's, a, that's the and problem. Why don't right? you just find a thirty-year-old <laughs> who does yoga? Yeah, 
So, well, well, you believe it's society. I don't know. Maybe society is a factor, but what about bio- biologically? I mean, what about the fact that once these girls are reaching a puberty, then they're essentially um, they're biologically ready for reproduction, and that there's probably some level of uh, of attraction there for a lot of men. Wouldn't that be a factor too? Absolutely. Considering they and, used uh, to be middle aged. I mean, back in the uh, the days when people didn't live past thirty five, fifteen was a, a middle aged woman. Absolutely. So was that just your your comment? You believe it's more societally based? Uh, society, the media, women women themselves going through so much hassle to look younger. Well, Do you I, think that's bad? I don't I don't necessarily think that's bad. Okay. I had a science subject. Okay, sure. If if an if a if a minor like seven, a 17-year-old girl let's just say were to be emancipated, would Nude pictures of her still be child porn? <laughs> Probably, yes. I mean, according to the government's definition, we already know that these teenagers can have sex in many places at, at age 16. Uh, so they're old enough to make that decision, but apparently not old enough to decide to photograph it. So I would say it probably would be. Thanks for the call, dude. 800-259-9231. I guess some people wouldn't think that's okay, Mark. Some What's people. okay? Uh, what the, the question you'd asked him. Thinking that uh, yeah. young the girls between the ages of, I guess... 14 and 18, like you're just not supposed to be attracted to them, but you're allowed to be attracted to them when they turn 18, or you should be attracted to women uh, or people, people that are, you know, somewhere in your age bracket. 800-259-9231, that is the SACL CAI toll-free line. We do know that uh, you can tell people not to do it, and that's not really going to stop them. More coming up. You take control. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. The toll-free number for you to bring up what you want is 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those, including the bulletin board system. Over 400,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about there, from serious issues to fun stuff. You'll find it all free at bbs.freetalklive.com. AdamEve.com has a special offer for you. Go to AdamEve.com and get 50% off of one item when you type in FTL at the offer code coupon checkout. Plus, with your order of $17 or more, they'll throw in a free gift. Get 50% off with offer code FTL at AdamEve.com. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up anything. Just to uh, real quick go back around to what Walter was talking about before, and it sounded like he was really into talking about that subject. Uh, but we were talking about the ideas of why it is that men are attracted to particularly younger females. And, Wayne, you would kind of made a good point about older men might be interested in younger uh, females, not just because they find them physically attractive, but also because they're just not as experienced and it could be easier to manipulate. Yes, and hoodwink them and, and uh, dominate them. Yeah, and, it's. It, I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, the sort of the conversation has come up that uh, either younger women or women from foreign countries or, you know, you get some kind of... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but uh, some kind of edge over your prospective life mate, and you'll be happier. And I personally wouldn't be looking for that. I would want somebody who, um, you know, who can. Ha- life can be complicated and it can be difficult. I want to have a, you know, a person who's who can think for themselves, is willing to do that, is willing to. Uh, Take risks and all that stuff. I mean, it's. I can't say that uh, having a, a wife that is my equal is always uh, roses and and uh, great, but I I wouldn't have it any other way. 
Yeah, you know, when you when you get with somebody, you really want somebody who's going to call you on your baloney. Yeah. In mm-hmm. a kind way. And you also want somebody who practices the non-aggression principle with you as well. So somebody who's not necessarily going to fawn all over you all of the time. Right. But yeah. but two people over time become like two rocks rubbing together, which eventually can, they say, become a gem. And if you don't or allow that. Sparks. Or, yeah. If, if you have if you have one person who dominates over the other all the time, that's boring. It's, it's really good to have somebody who you can bounce things off of, who's who's intelligent, who's got some experience. So I, I, I just don't see that. I, that. To me, that wouldn't be appealing. I, I don't know what they're thinking about here. I like to talk about, you know, problems or issues that come up in life. And um, if I don't have somebody I can talk to, I, I, you know, I've, I've dated people that are younger before. and, and They don't have the similar level of experience Right, in they life. don't. And, you know, often when, when they open their mouth and they're turning the conversation, um, it can be like, oh, God, why am I sitting here? <laughs> I, you know, why am I listening to this? I, you know, <laughs> talk to your teenager about, uh, you know, the next car purchase you're going to make. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to be looking at it the same way you are. That's right. And, and women reach their sexual peak around 35 years old. And if I were Walter, I'd be wanting some of that. 800-259-9231. Your thoughts. We continue with your calls about what you want. Tom in New Hampshire, you are on Free Talk Live. Hello, Tom. Uh, yeah. Uh, State Representative Timothy Robertson, a Democrat from Keene, introduced uh, HB588-FN, which would lower the drinking age in New Hampshire from 21 down to 18. A sensible idea. Yeah, it's a step in the right direction, and it's going to answer the standard uh, line, which you hear so much from the cops and the cop apologists. If you don't like the laws they enforce, you should change the laws. Yeah, but then the cops always come out in force to oppose the changes in the laws. And not all you have to do is somebody else does something. Like, all you have to do is the lawmakers change the laws. All you have to do is the other voters who vastly outnumber you at the polls uh, change uh, their vote, start voting for better candidates. And sometimes the... Uh, action is actually their action is actually hidden in a verb that re- uh, describes your action. All you have to do is convince them, which means you set forth a valid logical line of reasoning, and then they shut off their idiot switches and agree with it. But they won't. But here's the plan. Here's the argument. Okay. Okay. What's going to go tell differently them, this time? <laughs> you, you tell them you're not going to join the National Guard, and because why should you sign up to protect their life? and their property if they won't even vote to protect your right to liberty. And if they suffer and perish for want of National Guardsmen, like a lot of Hurricane Katrina victims did, it serves them right. <laughs> See, they're, they're expecting gratitude. They think that these, they hear from so many altar boys and choir girls who are so grateful that the politicians are protecting them from these terrible hangovers that they, they just really, really, Tom. Any... I, I mean, are you serious that that when bills like this have come up before, that young people have actually gone in and testified against it? I guess there are some clubs of straight edge kids that would do something like that, but it's it's shocking to me that they're that they're uh, even out there. Well, keep in mind, it's against the law to sell cocaine to a fifty year old, and there's fifty year olds who support that law, and it's against the law to sell beer to seventeen year olds. And there are seventeen year olds who support that law. You, you don't want to be an ageist and assume that they're all the the same on the. the no. Oh, I wasn't well, assuming that. You just, wouldn't want to stereotype. I, I wasn't all. saying they were all the same. It's just a lot, it takes a lot of effort for someone to go out to the state house and, and get active, and it's, it's yeah. an unusual amount of effort. 
Now, if it's dangerous to make a left turn at First and Main Street, and they put up a no left turn sign, okay, well, that's because they don't want people making the left turn. There's too many crashes. It's dangerous. But that doesn't mean you should punish the ones who go straight or the ones who turn right. If it's dangerous to drink and drive, that doesn't mean they should punish the ones who drink and then don't drive. Well, how do we know they're not going to drive afterwards? Well, when you pull into the intersection, how do we know you're not going to turn left and cause a horrible crash? What are we supposed to do? Wait until you turn left and cause a horrible crash and then write you the ticket? Isn't it a little late like to that? You know, punishing the ones who turn, go straight or turn right is absurd. So is punishing the ones who drink and don't drive afterwards. Yeah, well, these young people should not be punished for uh, engaging in an, a very what is a very adult behavior, and they are considered adults uh, after the age of 18, so they should be absolutely allowed to uh, to go and do that. And I thank you, Tom, for uh, for the heads up on that. I appreciate hearing from you tonight. 800-259-9231. Hopefully, uh, the good people over at the, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance will be Johnny on the spot on this and working toward uh, making this happen. Maybe there could be a little bit of civil disobedience uh, as well here to kind of spur things on. That might be a good idea. Maybe some young people uh, under the age of 21 could get together and pop open a couple brewskis and see what happens as a result of that. You know, there's two schools of thought, as you know. There's the prohibition side and there's the more tolerant side. Now, take a household. My wife is very prohibitionist with, around the kids. I don't, I don't bring beer into the house. I try not to drink in front of my kids. If I have one mm-hmm. beer at a, a party, my kids think I'm drunk. Because yeah. you know. <laughs> that's, what, that's what mom has led them to believe. Yeah, beer exactly. makes people drunk. It's <laughs> evil, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But yet when Daddy's I w- wasted, kid. He <laughs> 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 can't drive. She drives home anyway. Uh, but, sure. but anyway, when I was a kid, my, my Italian grandparents believed just the opposite. They believed that when you're a kid, you know, give, give the kid a little sip of wine. Let them know what it's about. Sure. Now, I'm waiting to see what happens with my kids when they turn drinking age, whether they're just going to go berserk with it or if they're going to be sensible. But I know. Will you the- know? Um, I hope Hopefully. I do. I hope I do. But yeah. when I was 18, the drinking age at that time was 18 in a good part of the United States. And I had already been drinking a little bit before that, but um, I still didn't go crazy because I was exposed to it. Yeah. And I think I, that's really and I was useful. exposed to responsible drinkers around in my family. I think that the younger the drinking age is, the better, uh, because there's no point in putting young people in jail, arresting them, and ruining their lives uh, simply because they've made some choices. That otherwise, the worst, pro- you know, one of the worst problems is that they're going to have a headache the next day. Yeah, I know some people die from overdoses. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Attention, freedom activists. If you're planning your move to New Hampshire, you know that Manchester is the heart of the free state. But finding an apartment when you're out of state can be a major pain in the... You need Prickle. Prickle has apartment rentals designed to meet your needs. There's no minimum length of stay. They accept payment in silver or gold. And responsible firearms owners are welcome. To find your new home in the heart of Manchester's growing Liberty Enclave, log on right now to Prickle.com. That's P-R-I-C-L dot com. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up what you want. Just dial toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. The features include archives. If you've missed a moan of the show, just click and download right there on the front page of the website at freetalklive.com. We continue with your phone calls about whatever you want. It's Brian in New Hampshire on the Ampline. Hello, Brian. 
Hey, guys. Hey, Wayne. How's everybody doing tonight? What's happening, Brian? What's on your mind tonight? I <laughs> uh, just wanted to uh, say that uh, my second son, uh, Miller, is now here in New Hampshire. He's uh, an early mover, uh, I think uh, number 655, according to the uh, uh, Free State Project site. Congratulations. Great. The Free State Project, a movement of thousands of liberty-loving individuals all here to New Hampshire in order for them to get active. Any idea what uh, his preferred kind of action will be? Oh, not sure yet. Uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll figure it out. Um, uh, my uh, His older brother, Cooper, has been here for a few months, and he's now living out uh, in Keene near you guys. That's right. Uh, and he's been uh, arrested at least once. I haven't talked to him for another a day or so. So, <laughs> so, so proud. So proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. The family that gets arrested but, uh, together but, stays but, together. Uh, Is that right? Miller is here, and he hasn't um, hasn't finished his high school yet. Uh, but uh, uh, we were able to get him out of the government uh, uh, lockdown uh, school, and, and now I'll be homeschooling him until he finishes whatever he needs to finish to, um, you know, uh, get his high school diploma. So, what are the requirements of a homeschooling situation in New Hampshire? I'm not, I've not, obviously not looked into this personally. Well, it's it. it it's it's pretty. Um, it, 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 I'm still learning about it. Uh, it's uh, pretty much you have to uh, register with some kind of a uh, umbrella organization. And uh, Wayne uh, gave me a, a, a great uh, place that does this. And so I think it's like forty bucks a year, and they will uh, file the appropriate paperwork with whatever you know the superintendent of your local school just so your kid doesn't get uh, marked as a truant. Okay. But then after that, uh, it's basically, you know, you there's lots of different options for homeschooling parents. Uh, you know, I, I could school them here. You know, we, we could go through lesson plans and, uh, you know, over the kitchen counter. But really the, the, the cool thing about this is he sets the stuff that he's interested in, and then we just go from there. And everything that happens is a learning experience. Uh, like yesterday and then again tomorrow, he'll be at the uh, State House in Concord, uh, watching these uh, uh, politicians try to, uh, you know, create laws that will restrict our freedom. And uh, he'll be there hopefully testifying and just kind of seeing how the process works. A civics you know, assignment. Get, That's nice. You can get a lot more done, you know, in a day at the state house watching sausage being made. Uh, that you can in a whole year of civics class in the government high school. That's, uh, oh that's probably absolutely true. Now, so so as a homeschooler, you don't have to uh, you don't have to shove certain topics down his throat like that that he would be getting at the government school. You don't have to you know he doesn't have to mandate learn uh, calculus for instance. Well, calculus is the fun stuff. But he doesn't have to learn you know uh, values and you know feelings and sex education, all that other crap that they teach at the government schools these days. It, it's you know he, he, he pretty much sets. What it is that he wants to learn. What about and global then, warming and all that there. stuff? And climate change. You mean climate change, right. If you right. don't educate your, <laughs> your son in the public school, the, the, the planet's going to be caught on fire. <laughs> but unfortunately, well, you have to yeah, keep paying for the public schools, though, don't you? Yes, uh, the, uh, the property tax that they assess uh, still covers, it's two-thirds of the, of two the property thirds. tax goes to the crappy government school two here. Two-thirds. Uh, I mean, that is amazing. You guys have some pretty big property out there from what I understand. So two-thirds, that's got to be significant. Well, two-thirds goes to, to the, the, the crappy school here, and then the other third apparently pays for the cops that arrest my kid. Right. And, you know, <laughs> the other things that uh, are, are, are problems. So, you know, I'm, I'm paying for my own yeah. uh, incarceration. Your own here. enslavement, absolutely. I mean, it's just absolutely outrageous, and I'm really looking forward to the day, Brian, when we can stop. 
When do you think that's going to be? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm with Mark. I'm scared. You know, it, it, they, you? they got they got big scary guns, they and do. they got uh, you know they can pretty much uh, shut you down. But there's more of us than there are of them. Yes, that's true. That's true, and, and that's the that's the hope that we have, and that's what you know. We're I, I'm more of a market anarchist, but at the same time, I see that there is a value in doing the political thing too. So you know, I think not paying the, is uh, political uh, to some extent. I think uh, withholding payment is a very political move, don't you? Oh yeah. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, your well, your and, system and, sucks. And We're as, not paying anymore. It's it's not political if you just withhold it. It's political if you withhold it and then stand on on the corner and say, "I'm withholding because of this." That's that what I would do. I would I would withhold it because of this and make that very public. And uh, in my case, I've got tenants. I'd give it all back to them just to prove that it wasn't uh, just to prove that it wasn't about the money for me. Like here, I'll just take a couple hundred bucks off of your rent, and uh, now you guys have a better life. And I don't have to pay this incredibly uh, high property tax bill anymore. So that's what—that's the way I would want to approach it. Would be to make it very public and a very public statement, and join together with other uh, families, other homeowners who would do the same thing. I think that there would—I think it'd be untouchable if enough people joined together and did something like that. How well, many people know, the, are they the going to throw in the streets? The, the, the big problem with that, and, and, and what I'm looking at is that if you have a mortgage. Uh, oh, the yeah. banks are in with the government on this That's stuff. true. Yeah, that's true. If you have a mortgage, all the town has to do is put a lien on your property, and then the bank hand it uh, over. requires you to pay off the thing or default. Yep, that's true. So, yeah, what you have to do, you know, I know, uh, Ian, you're looking for five other people in Keene to, to stop paying their, their well, not their, the, the, the property taxes. I would love that. That'd be awesome. But you're right. You're saying that those five people all have to own outright, and boy, when's that going to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole system is designed that everybody's, you know, a paycheck away from bankruptcy, blah, blah, blah. And mm. how are you going to how are you going to be civilly disobedient when the, even the, the bank, the private organization, so-called, are all over you? on you? Yeah. Oh, man, it's frustrating. Well, hopefully we'll get there. Hopefully we'll have enough well, wealthy people to where we can do that. Um, I'll keep my fingers crossed, I guess. Brian, thanks for the call tonight and congratulations on moving yet another uh, liberty loving individual here to New Hampshire. 800-259-9231. You know, I think that uh, you probably have, um, rather than uh, being in uh, a big city like Keene and then trying to get, I don't know, a dozen people to uh, stop uh, with to, to withhold their property taxes, because you have to find a dozen people then that have no mortgage, you'd probably be better off moving those dozen people to one of the surrounding towns where you would have you know, a significantly smaller population and then have uh, a great deal of sway inside the government. Each one of those people could, uh, you know, get one of the one of the many uh, unpaid positions, and they're, they're always, like, begging people to go into these positions. <laughs> and uh, then, then you'd have a, a heck of a lot more luck by, by seizing control of the local government rather than uh, trying to get people to not pay in a big, uh, big city. You'll make a bigger stink in a city, but uh, you'll, you'll have better luck in yeah, I don't know. Time. I don't know if it's that easy to just seize control of, of an established status quo system, the good old boys network that's already in well, place. Well, you've got to understand that, that in the towns, mostly, um, you're dealing with a much more conservative crowd um, than you are with, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a city, and especially this city, the, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> I mean, College town. Keene is just an extraordinarily liberal city. So I'd rather deal with liberals personally. I, I like liberals yeah. better, yeah. I'd rather work in Keene and live outside of it. Um, the so, but the conservative types—they're always against taxes. Now, you've, of course, once they get entrenched on things like schools and fire departments, it can be tough to uh, to convince them otherwise. But you know, I think I, I personally believe that that's a better better route. I can do more with a dozen people than you can. You know, I think property tax revolts are coming in this country because for the last eight years or so, 
these property valuations have been pumped up and pumped up and pumped up artificially, and that people in the towns are licking their chops because they're getting uh, higher assessments and more and more tax money. Now that the assessments are going down, 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 and they're still trying to raise people's taxes as people are losing their jobs and their money's not buying as much. So this is coming. The little people squeeze, I think somebody called it is coming, and I think you're going to have a lot of people protesting property taxes throughout the country. I hope you're right, though, Wayne. I mean, but it takes a lot of courage, and you're putting a lot on the line. I, mm. I don't see very much interest amongst the liberty activist community. Well, we, you know, and people it, around this country right now are being forced to tighten their belts like never before in, in, in their generation, probably. And when, when you see people in government not tightening their belts, not being willing to, and thinking that you're the people of this country are an unending well of, of, of funny, cheap money... Well, people are going to get mad. I think I they're mad about right. property taxes now, and yeah. I think that there's a lot um, happening. People disputing their valuations, people uh, you know, saying the government needs to cut down on spending. I, there's a big yeah, but deal. The government isn't cutting down on spending, and what you have instead is the state of New York creating a program for old people to go work for the government to work off their property taxes. So you're drawing, and, a blanket, uh, solu- uh, you're drawing a blanket statement. A lot of governments have to cut down because their citizens are saying yeah. no. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, that might be true. More coming up. You can bring up anything Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show. You can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wade. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Like the show? Want to help support Free Talk Live? Well, you can shop with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. Enter Amazon through that link. Free Talk Live gets a percentage of your purchase. You're buying news? You're buying new? Whatever you need. Amazon probably sells it. So enter through that link and we get a cut. That's amazon.freetalklive.com. Mark, you wanted to get into an email. We've had OJ calling in recently on the show. He's a law enforcement officer in Nebraska. And was it he that actually emailed you in this case? Uh, it, it is. Okay. Um, let's see. He goes on. He's telling a story of a uh, traffic stop. I pulled over this SUV last week. I was driving through one of the more affluent areas where I work when this SUV comes barreling out of front of um, out in front of me from a side street. This is in a residential area, and he didn't um, he didn't have a stop um, and he didn't have a stop sign there. Still, he seems to be moving right along, so I match pace with him and see just how fast he's going. At 37, he's just barely creeping away from me. The speed limit is 25. It's a residential area, and there are cars parked along both sides of an already fairly narrow street. When he reaches the main road, he rolls the stop sign at about 15 miles an hour, then speeds right back up. Right in front of a cop. 35. Was he undercover? Plus. Uh, I I don't have that information. So I go after him. Turn on the overheads. No. (laughs) Apparently he wasn't. I remember this part of the story, but I just, you know, when you ask me that question. (laughs) That was pretty good. He bombs his brakes (laughs) and comes to a skidding stop right in the middle of the street. I have to slam on my brakes to keep from hitting him. I'm considering the possibility that this might be a doctor on the way to an emergency room at the hospital, even and even though, if so, he chose an odd route. I walk up to the SUV and find the driver, a lone occupant, is entirely too young to be a doctor. Still, I ask him, are you going to some kind of an emergency? He says no. I tell him that he's going at least 10 miles an hour over the limit in a, in a residential area and that he rolled the stop sign and he stopped in a very unsafe manner. I got his license and registration. I notice that the license has a... Provisional operator's permit, kind of a junior license. You know, this is restricted. Yep. Okay. I ask him how long he's been driving. He says, about a year. I ask him if he's gotten any tickets. He says, no. I tell him, well, you're not getting one tonight, but I'm going to write you a warning, and I want... A uh, written warning? Yeah. Hmm. 
but I want to talk to you about that. I tell him to stay in his vehicle, and then I walk back to mine. I fill out a written warning for speeding, stop sign violation, and careless driving. Then I walk back and issue it to him. He asks if, the co- um, if this will cost him anything. No, I tell him, just a warning. And he asks if his parents will be notified. And I said, not unless you tell them. Then I tell him the uh, important <laughs> stuff. He's lucky tonight. He's lucky that nothing went terribly wrong and that no, peop- no cars or people suddenly came out in front of him. He's lucky that it was me that pulled him over because I have no interest in taking his money and deducting points from his driver's license or in jacking up his insurance rates. Other some officers do. Might, yeah. But I don't. And there's a reason for it. Over the years, I tell him I have personally seen four people, uh, um, seen four people within a few years of his age die in traffic accidents. And by the time um, by see them die, I don't mean that they were dead when I got there. I mean that they died right there while I did everything possible to keep them alive. I also seen a couple of a dozen young people get very badly hurt in traffic accidents. And while some of these accidents involve drugs or alcohol, all of them um, involve what can only be called stupid driving. I don't want your money. I don't want your points. I don't want to get you in trouble. I just uh, don't want to have to add your face to the gallery of, of horrors in my head. I could see tears in his eyes, and I was pretty sure that I'd gotten the message across far more effectively than a $300 ticket would have. Mm, yeah, no doubt about it. Drive carefully, kid. Be safe. And he's probably not going to resent O.J. That, the kid is likely not going to resent O.J. like he would a cop that just, ah, here you go, kid, and issues a three, you know, three or $200 ticket. I'd agree that it's, um, I would agree that, uh, that the attitude of the police officer would, uh, would matter there, but... You know, I don't think if I think if I was in OJ's um, position, I would have given this kid a ticket. Why? Why? Oh, How is boy. that going to help him? He was going thirty-nine or something like that. Thank 40, goodness you're not a cop, you fascist. Forty miles an hour down a, a ah. narrow residential street with cars on both sides and uh, rolled a stop sign. I mean, the kid's dangerous on the road. Yeah, but and stop finding him is going to stop him from being on the road. The f- talking to him is going to stop him from being on the road? Apparently, O.J., in his professional expertise, believes that he will have more uh, better effect by talking to the that O.J. Was very, that, that was very effective. I thought that, I that, think so. That's how you reach people. You're not going to reach somebody by writing them a ticket and saying, you know, right. suffer just, here, take it. Then you're it, just kid. enriching the department. What if, thanks. He'd be a dirty cop, too. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I would come roll by your house every day and write you a ticket yeah. just for something. <laughs> You can do your little civil disobedience with my tickets. That's what you could do. <laughs> you know, I I think that I I do think that uh, that that fines can help people. That they're negative reinforcement for ne- negative behavior. I'm not saying no. that they should be given in every instance, but I do think in egregious in- instances that they they don't help people, Mark. They just impoverish them ever further than they currently are. Many of the people who receive those fines are you're making a blanket statement that you don't have they're any kind of empirical to data. On. I've sat in the government courtrooms and watched the the kinds of people that get up in front of those judges and they don't look as though they were just going to a hundred thousand dollar sales call i mean these people are probably not doing too well financially and yes they may be maybe because they have a cigarette or, or alcohol habit or something like that but the fact is that's money that they could have used for their life and it doesn't do anything but uh, piss them off when they get tickets i think that OJ, i think oj handled this brilliantly I, I think he's a professional and i think he's a, an asset to whatever police i department wouldn't second guess the man in the particular instance that he goes through i don't know but i from getting the information here i think i might have um, handled it differently i okay. don't know i'm not the same guy. Um, and I'm not, and never going to be. I don't have any interest in being one. 
But um, the, the the this this in my personal experience over time, I have found that going 40 miles an hour down a narrow residential street with cars parked on both sides of the road is extraordinarily dangerous. Rolling the stop sign, I don't have the problem with. It's the going 40 miles an hour down this um, narrow street that I have a problem with. I mean, the, the fact is people, p- pedestrians, bicyclists, each one of them, and, and, and cars, they all believe they have the right of way. They don't pay enough attention, and they'll walk right out in front of you. Well, Darwin Somebody, will Someone be will open their car. Oh, yeah, you just them. want people to die. No, I want you them just, to look oh, both ways before like, they go into the street. They'll learn, won't they? Yeah. Didn't I mean, you learn like that from your a, parents? Like giving a ticket um, is, is somehow less dangerous than Didn't somebody getting plowed teach you, over the Mark? side of the road. Didn't your mother teach you to look both ways before you go into the street? Didn't, wasn't that My one mother of taught me not to hang out lessons? with anarchists, too. <laughs> so what the hell? Yeah. Didn't you know, mom teach you that one, Wayne? Don't oh, look. You may, when times. you're going into the street, you look both ways. And if you didn't look both ways, she she got on you for it, and she made it so you'd look both ways. And it's an important thing. And I don't understand why people would lose it when they become an adult just because they get a big head on their shoulders. Well, you know, you take those risks. I, I so the the idea that you can protect people from their uh, stupidity by enforcing speed limits, I think, is kind of silly, Mark. I'm not enforcing speed limits. You make it seem like the kid was going a mile or two over. He was going like 15 miles an hour over the limit. And he didn't wreck into anybody. He didn't. He, that, that's, that, that can happen. But you can also, you know, somebody opens a car door and you rip it right off because yeah. you, he didn't have a chance to stop. Now, I don't know where O.J. is, but it's been mighty snowy up north right these days. Do you mm-hmm. think it's the best time to be barreling down the road? I can't answer to you, Mark. I don't know what all the situation was like. I, I wasn't there. What's the objective here? The objective is to make sure that kid doesn't do that again. That's correct. So whether you give him a fine, is that better, or getting through to him in, in a way that O.J. Oh. did, which probably had a lot more effect than, than writing out the ticket. I, 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 don't, I think that talking to him is very important, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I have had police officers, um, you know, when I was a kid, a police officer wrote me a ticket, and, you know, he spent some time, he talked to me, he showed me the inside of his car, you know, the whole thing. I, I still remember uh, Officer Wu doing that for me, and, uh, you know, I... I, I think I, I, I'm not saying that it never that I never drove <laughs> recklessly again, but it you know it had an effect. Do I think that this kid will never drive recklessly again? I think he'll absolutely drive recklessly again at some point. But maybe um, OJ had some effect on him, and he'll be more careful in residential. I don't know. I think talking's more important, but I also think that there's a lasting lesson because I think that um, in, in my personal case, uh, like I got away with a lot as a kid. I finally ended up in prison for a very big thing. If I had been caught for something smaller earlier, I would have learned my lesson. It starts at speed. Talk is cheap. You don't know what you would have been like back then. If, if I'd have been caught for a car smaller. burglary, a burglary of a conveyance or something like that, I can assure you I would not have gotten in trouble. Okay. That's good. I can't tell you what I would have done at age 18. I don't know myself uh, today as I knew myself then, so I can't really make – I could not make a, uh, a statement about what I would have done back then. I probably would have been – whatever I, it was would have been more hot-headed and brash than uh, what I currently would, have, would do in a situation like that. So I'm glad that you're able to be in touch with your, your past self so effectively, Mark. 800-259-9231, coming up. I had plenty of time to think about things while sitting in prison as far as uh, you know, what, would have, what could have changed and what would have changed. Uh, so coming up here – News about the post office. Apparently, well, we've talked about them in the past being some sort of semi or quasi-private agency. We know that there are some rules they have to follow by the federal government, and it looks like they're trying to change one of them. 
based on the economic situation in this country. And we'll see what one of those rule changes is here in moment. Uh, in moments, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. Hour 2 is coming up. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We are launching into hour number two of the program. You can bring up anything via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 800-259-9231. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site we give away. So enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Joining you is Ian here with you tonight. Ian Wayne. And Mark. All right. So 800-259-9231. The story is brief. And it's in the Associated Press. Postmaster General John Potter says the massive deficits facing the post office could force the agency to cut out one day of mail delivery per week. No. Yeah, they're making a proposal, I guess, to Congress because mm-hmm. the post office is now a private agency and, uh, you know, obviously operates on its own. It has to ask Congress whether or not it can stop delivering mail on the uh, sixth day. That's exactly what they're doing. Uh, They are demanding an end to the requirement that the agency deliver mail six days per week. Faced with dwindling mail volume and rising costs, the post office was $2.8 billion in the red last year. So people like to claim that the post office is a, uh, it's private, it's not really the federal government. Well, it doesn't sound like they're doing their business uh, without the assistance of the federal government. They're doing it at the behest of the federal government. The federal government sets rules that directly apply to how well the post office can perform their tasks uh, and how much competition they have in the marketplace. Uh, the post office here is saying they're having a tough time. They need the government to withdraw the mandate for six days of service. Well, what would be really nice is if while they were at it, they go went ahead and withdraw or, or withdrew the requirement that nobody else or the mandate that no one else besides the post office can deliver what they call first-class mail, which is right. mail under the price of $1. And you want things to get ship-shape real quick in the shipping industry? Then uh, get rid of that restriction and make it so UPS and FedEx and the rest can start uh, – can start essentially competing with the post office for the first time ever in the area of first-class mail. I think that would be super. Of course, then that again, would be that super would... for the post office too. Because no, it, it wouldn't. Would... Well, yes, it would. It you would think? require them to get more lean. Uh, they're they're yeah, at this point maybe. operating, you know, in very bloated fashion. Or it'd put them out of business. What's that? Or it would put them out of business. But, but, well, those are the companies. You know, it's the old, slow, bloated companies that do go out of business. Right, but they're not. Yeah. That's why they're going to fight against it. I mean, if. That's if that even were to come up, if a Ron Paul or somebody like that were to submit such a piece of legislation, you can better believe the post office would do everything they could to fight against that the because post- they don't want to get lean. And even if the, even if it were to go through, I don't think they'd be able to fix their problems quick enough yes, to survive. They've gotten leaner over the years. In fact, they've gotten rid of all their planes. They actually contract with some of the private carriers for airmail and things like that now. And yeah, FedEx. And FedEx, right because they know they've already got those roots and they already have the infrastructure, so why pay for their own plane? So they have gotten lean to some degree, but they can only get so lean when, they're, when they really have a monopoly on first-class mail, which isn't as profitable or the, as the bigger packages are. 
well, maybe it isn't as profitable for them, but how could UPS or FedEx handle something like first-class mail and make a profit? Is well, it possible to profit on first-class mail? Likely, is. yes. It, be. it absolutely is. And you see, basically, um, what the post office is, think about this for a second. You haven't gotten mail at your home for a long time, Ian, and I don't get it now, but most of what you get are circulars sent to resident. The post oh, yeah, office absolutely. isn't a company, isn't even isn't even primarily any longer a company that delivers your, you know, delivers messages from one person to another. It's an advertising They're venue. an ad venue. Yeah. Just like Free Talk Live. Mm-hmm. So now they're a government instituted uh, constitutional ad venue. It doesn't even make any sense. So and and once you put the box up, it becomes federal property. Um because mm-hmm. the federal government has all kinds of laws on your post office on, on your mailbox. I won't even put one up for that very reason. I don't need any more coupons for pizzas. Thank yeah. you very much. I just don't need it. And I don't get it any longer uh, because I have a private mailbox. And, you know, the average person isn't going to do that. It's easy to walk down to the driveway. And, you know, I my driveway is significantly farther, so I don't have the same <laughs> desire to walk down to the mailbox. But, uh, you know, I, they, why we why would we be using, uh, you know, why would we be protecting a company that's just an ad venue? We're not protecting any other ad venues. Well, that's right, because first-class mail is becoming somewhat of a dinosaur when you think about it, because email has replaced a lot of first-class mail. Mm-hmm. You can get a lot of your bills electronically through email as well, or you can just log onto a website and look at your bills that way and not even have to get them in the mail anymore. Sure. So you're right. A lot of the mail now, a majority of it, is coming in, and it's it's, it's, it's junk. junk. It's junk mail. It's junk, and they're just facilitating that. They're, they're they're basically uh, hauling junk around for people to look at. Well, to answer, away. to answer your question, Mark, as to why we are going to continue doing this, they're going to continue doing it because the, the government bureaucrats are interested in continuing collecting pensions and things like that. These people that are working for the post office bureaucracy sure as hell don't want that gravy train to go away. Well, so they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep their jobs. They're not as governmenty of bureaucrats as many others, but they have a monopoly and they're going to fight for that monopoly. Yep. A few months ago, they had I remember announced they announced that they were laying off about twenty thousand people, which really? was unheard of for the post office. Yeah. So we'll see what happens here. Uh, no word on uh, whether this is going to go through, but we did. Oh, I, I, I absolutely think it's going to go through. But I was actually surprised. The, uh, the this is the perfect the, time for it to go through because America has to tighten its belt. Yeah. You know, we're going through some hard times, and da 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 da. da. So this will be the perfect time to slide this little little uh, deal in. Give the bureaucrats an extra day off. Even if um, you know, it, what doesn't make any sense? If you're going to take the, uh, if you're going to give mail carriers a day off, well, give them Wednesday off. That way I can get my mail delivered uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No, it's not. They're going to get uh, they're going to get their two days off in a row. Now, are they going to still work for the same amount of pay and, and work one less day, or are they going to work in the post office and do sorting or do something else instead of going out and delivering mail? Well, they probably um, they likely. Uh, you know, it's six days a week, and and most of those mail routes likely take longer than eight hours. Um, some ten, so they probably have more than one person for different routes and stuff like that. So, probably they would be cutting out these rural route uh, people or the the contract people. They don't have they have a lot of these contract folks. So they'd be trying to cut them out, likely. You know, other uh, legislation on the national level that is a sort of of interest, or at least we've talked about it recently, was the DTV extension, which apparently failed. Which I was kind of surprised about. They were going to extend the DTV deadline from February 17th to June something. Didn't go through. 
Yeah, I can't believe that. So I guess that means that millions of Americans are going to be without their uh, over-the-air television oh, coming up the, in February. Their mass indoctrination tools. Yeah. Well, wow. they'll, they'll they'll get their television. They'll get the uh, little little drive things. They just won't get the forty dollars discount that they were going to supposed to get. That's true. They're going to find the money to to get it if they really want it. That's true. Yeah. That's so peculiar that they would actually want to incentivize people to go. What's the government doing doing this stuff? It's, it's it has nuts. an interest in people watching television. I mean, it rots. You, it doesn't rot your <laughs> brain, but it certainly rots your time away from you, and some would say that it's definitely indoctrination. A lot of the programming on there is of a statist origin and of a statist interest, and so certainly the government and those who are in power have a real interest in keeping people watching just nonsense like NBC and Fox. There you go. So 800-259-9231, but uh, we'll see what happens as uh, the, the date gets closer. Maybe they'll manage to pull out an extension at the last moment, uh, but we will pay attention and let you know if we hear anything new. 800-259-9231. Let's go to Bill in Pennsylvania. You are on Free Talk Live. Hello, Bill. Hello there. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, you were just talking about the post office. I like the post office. I mean, I don't work for the post office, but um, you What do you, you like about them? I'm sorry, what? What do you like about them? They deliver stuff to me. Well, yeah. And I send stuff to other people, and they mail it. Well, wait. You're, if you're mm-hmm. lucky, they'll deliver stuff to you on time. Um, some people are a little bit concerned with getting things on time, and the post office can't really do that very effectively. Yeah, okay. So, well, the, then the other alternative is to... Uh, Spend lots of money and mail it like UPS or no, sir. FedEx. Or- no, that's not the other alternative. Uh, the UPS and FedEx are not allowed to compete in the area of first-class mail, so right. they could no, offer no, you a cheaper a service if Before they wanted to. Before you go on to. here, just just think about this for a second. You can send a letter for what? Um, they've they've raised forty-two what, 40, cents, forty-seven cents, or something, right? Is it forty-seven now? I don't know. Ah, I don't know what, 42. forty-two. I don't I don't do that. It'll I, be a, two more see. years. It'll be forty-seven. Though. So uh, you can send a letter for you know, a little under fifty cents. And or you can send one via UPS or FedEx for two fifty, and you can you really can send sort of first class mail. Um, you could you could stick it in the UPS envelope and send it, and they'll get it to where you. They're need not going to do it for two fifty though. I don't know how much. Um, uh, how much? Five bucks. Probably at okay, least five, five bucks. Five, six, so seven now bucks. You, you have the choice of either fifty cents or five bucks. Which one are you going to choose? <laughs> are you asking me? Yeah, I am. Oh, um, well. Seeing as how our dollar's not going to be worth anything, and I might as well spend it right now and get it over with, uh, probably uh, UPS. What? You, it, you, you just said you were a fan answer. of the post office. What's that? You just said you were a fan of the post office. I, I am. Why wouldn't you choose the 50-cent option? Because it takes longer. Okay, so you're a fan, but not so the... much. I'm a little confused. Hang on, I'll bring you back, because I want to continue this discussion about how the post, or how uh, UPS and FedEx could possibly send things for less money than they currently do. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. We've got a wiki with over 1,800 pages created by listeners like you. Go to wiki.freetalklive.com. You can edit virtually anything you see there. Wiki, W-I-K-I.freetalklive.com. Join us for the 2009 Liberty Forum, early March, the 5th 
through the 8th. It's the first weekend in March in Nashua, New Hampshire at the Crown Plaza Hotel. It's all put on by the Free State Project. You can go to freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum to learn more about the event. Get a full list of all the speakers you'll be able to see, all kinds of liberty-minded uh, luminaries, if you will, uh, plus lots of panel discussions as well as networking opportunities, dinners, lunches, after-hours parties. It's a great time. It's like a, the biggest, probably best liberty-oriented convention you've ever attended. Highly recommend it. We'll be there broadcasting live, and we'll look forward to seeing you at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Use our discount code to save 10%. That's 2009 FTL, 2009 FTL, freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. All right, so we continue. We've uh, still got Bill on the line in Pennsylvania. Bill, you started by saying you were a fan of the Postal Service. And then when given the choice between a delivery that costs $5.50, you chose the $5 delivery. Are you just trying to confuse us? <laughs> Probably. Uh, okay. What I meant, I mean, I'll go with whichever is cheaper. I don't think any. That's what most people would do, I think. Me. I mean, if you don't have something that needs to be delivered Absolutely tomorrow. Absolutely positively has to be there overnight, um, then, you know, you wouldn't necessarily choose the FedEx option. Uh, you know, most a lot of people just, you know, two or three days for uh, first-class mail is fine for them. So I don't think that just opening up people to compete in the arena of first-class mail would necessarily put the post office out of business. Ian and I aren't proposing that we put them out of business. We're just proposing that we um, that they not have a monopoly on the the delivery of first class mail, and that they not get any kind of government subsidies. What do you think about that? Well, I thought it was socialized. In other words, like when Ben Franklin uh, invented it, he was the guy, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's my understanding. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's still really cheap. I mean, it doesn't matter if I sent a letter next to, to next door. Or to all the way to California, which I'm from Pennsylvania, so that's a long way. It's the same price. Well, that's that's the biggest part that bothers me. Is uh, do you think it should? Does that make sense to you that it, that it should cost the same to send something across town as it does to send across country? Uh, not well. Yeah, not. I understand what you're saying, but I mean, I do that half the time. Well, I or understand. rather, in other words, what I'm saying is that. Half the time when I'm ordering something or mm-hmm. sending something, it may go all the way across. So the you're country. saying you like but the I fact don't send, but but what, let's say I just send stuff that's local for whatever reason. Uh, I've managed to get that my my life that in that manner. I I care about whether or not they're spending lots of money on fuel for the 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 letters I send. So I only send stuff local. Should I have to subsidize your cross country um you know adventures by uh you know all this stuff that you like to order? I'm not an ex on uh, logistics, but I'm sure that it equals out somehow. Does that, what does equals that, out? That, uh, that everybody must use the post office the same way he does. The, I'm sorry, what? The, that everyone must use the post office the same way you do, right? <laughs> no, everybody doesn't must use the post office. There's all kinds of uh, uh, couriers that you could use. Well, yeah, you said it all you, evens out. By saying it all evens out, you, you're making a generalization, all. And you know the generalizations are almost always flawed, right? So there's of somebody course. out there that's getting screwed by this arrangement. Do you, th- do you like the idea of screwing them? Well, no, that's not the thing. I've never been messed up by the post office. I mean, I sent I'm not asking you're not, about you're not you. answering the question. I'm asking about a fictitious individual, and there's someone out there that fits this description that doesn't send the same way you do, and because of the rates being the same across town or across country, They're they getting are getting screwed. screwed, and you are benefiting. I'm asking you, do you like screwing people? 
No, I don't like screwing people. Great. Then let's then let's cut the post office loose. Let's let them set their pricing um, you know, standard the way they need to set them. It's not like we're in the Pony Express days anymore. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, we don't have to... Yeah, but see, what you're saying, too, uh, as well, is like, okay, so we're just going to make uh, $0.42 cents the local postage price, and then we're going to charge what FedEx and uh, UPS is charging for going across country. I'm not suggesting how they'll do their business. I you know, don't know how they I do business. I know that competition drives down prices. Have you noticed how computers are significantly cheaper than they were 10 years ago? I haven't bought one since. Like just just eight, play along take, with me. Take his do word for it. Do you not know that computers are, are cheaper than they were 10 years ago? I'm sure that they are. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> the fact is, when you have unregulated markets, people will find better ways to compete, and the rate, the cost will go down. I think that uh, I think that you'll find that uh, it, it's significantly um, cheaper than what you're currently spending on UPS or FedEx to send things cross-country. Thanks, Ben, for the call. I think it'll cost more than, uh, sending, uh, than, than it would now. Or Bill, rather. Thank you, Bill. 800-259-9231. I think that it, whatever the cost would be, Mark, would be the actual cost. Yep. Like You would likely know and what it costs to send from point A to point B, at what level you were sending it. And, you know, if a company wanted to start up, or maybe the Postal, postal Service, if they wanted to continue on the socialized model and see if that could hack it in the, in the business uh, world, then... It's going to crap a big one, because here's the fact yeah. is, um, the, <laughs> well, the fact is, it doesn't cost 42 cents to move a letter across town or across state for even. Yeah. Um, so who's it costs significantly that? less. So a company's going to say, okay, we'll move your stuff across state for 20 cents a piece. And then, but, but, but we're going to move it across country for $2. So then you're going to find that they're, they're competing on, you know, apples to apples. Instead yeah. of subsidizing uh, the, the the cross-country stuff with the cross-town stuff. And it sounds to me like Bill, whether he wants to admit it or not, is just kind of upset at the idea that he might actually have to pay more to sustain his current lifestyle. Unfortunately, Bill um, didn't didn't say it, but what Bill was saying is, screw the yeah. other guy and whatever it is that uh, you know that's good for them. He's a receiver of the subsidies. Right. He wants to receive the subs- that particular subsidy. He's an entitlement mentality. He's a welfare baby. Yep. A postal <laughs> welfare baby. I'm sorry that you know I mean that's that's not terminology he'd like to hear no, I'm, I'm sure. But it's true. But it's just it's just what's happening. You know in all fairness in, in past years before this economic crisis hit, hit and also before the internet really took off the post office was actually either, either breaking even or even making a little bit. And, yeah, they and they I've heard those books. rumors. Yeah, they have. Well, they could be cooking the books. Who knows? But, you know, if you think about all the things the federal government does, the post office is not high on my list. No, it's not the first as thing that I would changing? like to like to cut cut loose. Believe me, I have all the yeah, things. Yeah, I'd rather that, they stop hurting people. Obviously, yeah, the first thing I want them to do is stop blowing up people. But it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, somebody had suggested in the past that just thinking about ways that the companies that could compete in the marketplace of first class mail could compete and, and innovate and do things that would would help lower costs. Because everybody seems to believe that if the post office disappeared, that all of a sudden it would cost three or five dollars to send something uh, send something across the country. Maybe that's not true. Maybe uh, the advertising could be a factor. Maybe since advertisers are so interested in delivering their message to individuals, they could get involved. UPS could have some sort of advertising printing uh, device on, on their mail scanners or whatever that if you are somebody that is interested in lowering your cost of delivery or, or cost of shipping, that you could accept that UPS would, would scan an advertisement on there or essentially you know laser print an advertisement on the front of your un- envelope. And that could potentially lower 
lower the cost of sending it across the country. It's just one possible way that the market could innovate. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know. I'm sure that a lot of people that would be in search of profit would think of even better ways to do it. That's just one idea, and I'm certainly not in the business. More coming up. You can bring up what you want. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. In fact, let's talk more about innovation here in moments. It's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Those features include updates. You get signed up, we will keep you in the loop. Whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live, go to updates.freetalklive.com. Get on the list free. That's updates. Do you know that over 35% of IT admins admit to snooping through their boss's email? No. Yes, it's true. Your email, um, your business email should be secure. PrivacyHarbor.com is an email alternative that's both private and confidential. Guaranteed. PrivacyHarbor.com, because normal email is not secure, you can just go over there today, get a free account at PrivacyHarbor.com. 800-259-9231 to your phone calls. We talked to Robin in New Jersey. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Robin. Hi, I'm a medical privacy attorney, and I'm not convinced that the American public knows that the federal government is planning an electronic health records database in which, without the patient's consent or an ability for us to opt out, all of our medical records are going to be connected through a network. Oh, boy. And it will have everything about you, your gynecology visits and other kinds of personal visits, and there's no way to stop this thing I've been trying since 1996. So all and medical uh, providers will be required to submit information to this, even a cash doctor? That is correct. It's yes. all going to be networked, and um, if people want to read more about it, they could go to www.forhealthfreedom.org, um, and it will give you more specific information about this. Um, the problem is that many people would like to have the convenience of their electronic health records, but some of us, like myself, would like to keep it private. Privacy, so sure. If I go sure. to the doctor and I talk about something private, it's not going to be shared with my dentist and so many other healthcare providers that have nothing to do with that sensitive part of my body. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, so absolutely. It's quite an invasion of privacy, and it's happening very stealthily. Um, the government's been doing this um, and attempting to do it for many, many years. But right now, this part of the economic stimulus bill mm-hmm and which has to do with health information technology. So I encourage everybody to please go to that website and read up more about it. So they've stuck this into the stimulus bill? These that is correct. Yeah, wow. actually there's a story on WorldNet Daily today also called Economic Stimulus. Feds want your medical records, and it goes into it in detail. And, you know, having your, your information about you compartmentalized is always a good idea because when it's centralized like this in a big database, for one, you can't control what's going in there, and there could be errors. Secondly, is, secondly it's none of their business because then what happens is people tend to become categorized, and uh, if you're a eugenicist, you're, you're licking your chops, too. Mm. <laughs> I also have to say um, that part of it is if you sue, and as an attorney, I can tell you sometimes, God forbid, people have to sue their doctors, 
Every doctor that sees you for the rest of your life is going to know that you sued a doctor, mm. or you could be labeled as non-compliant or argumentative. That will follow you. Or if you have a very bad diagnosis and prognosis with a serious illness and you want to get an objective second opinion, the next doctor, the second doctor you go to, will look at the database and see what the first doctor said. And yep. doctors wow. do not like to disagree with doctors. It's My like father was notes. a doctor. Yeah, it's yeah. like crib notes. They'll be cheating. Right. Exactly so, right. Uh, this is pretty scary stuff. What is it that I'm, I'm over at your website for health freedom, forhealthfreedom.org. What is it that is being suggested be done? Because, I mean, essentially, in order to reject this, they're going to have to reject the stimulus. And we know that didn't work out too well last time. I mean, last time they had one of these st- so-called stimulus packages, 100 to 1 phone calls came into these so-called representatives against the stimulus bill. And they went ahead and pushed it through anyway. So what is the, the what's problem? That is the problem because the, the big industry wants this. Mm-hmm. You know, the health insurance companies and other companies, the technology um, industry wants this badly as well because it's money in their pockets. But um, the problem is our representatives, who do they represent? And so the best that we can hope for is that each of us should still look optimistically and contact our congressmen and tell as many people as we can because this is something that's like a stealth operation. People are not aware of it. It's and, typical. You know, they should push for an opt-out, meaning that not all of us have to be part of this system, mm-hmm. and for patient consent. And people say that HIPAA is a privacy rule, but if you ever read the notice you're given in the doctor's office, they're not asking you for consent or permission. What you're signing is that they gave you a notice that tells you they're going to share your medical record with healthcare providers and people involved with payment and health, something called healthcare operations, and the federal government gets your medical records now, and the state government gets your medical records now. So HIPAA is really a disclosure rule, and lots of privacy organizations and privacy people like myself have tried to tell the public this. And when you combine this HIPAA broad disclosure with the enormous dissemination possible with an electronic health records network, it is a combustible situation for our privacy. Robin, I really appreciate you taking the time to call in and tell us about this tonight. Your website, again, is for-healthfreedom.org. That's forhealthfreedom.org for those who are interested in going ahead and taking action on this. I, I wish you good luck. I, I hope it works out. It's hard for me to get my hopes up, though. I mean, considering what happened on the last bailout bill, I, right, I can't but, imagine You know what? It's better to try and do something by contacting the congressman. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Robin, and good luck. Thank you for the call tonight, 800-259-9231. I just... I mean, if Downsize DC picks this one up, I'll I'll go through Downsize DC, but I just don't I just don't care enough to uh, to bother picking up the phone to do anything on the federal level anymore. I just I know that it's not going to do anything. I know they don't listen. I know they don't care. Well, sometimes they have. In all fairness, the economic stimulus plan, uh, a lot of the congressmen were threatened, and it's come out uh, with, with martial law would have to be de- would be have to be declared because the economy is going to collapse and melt down and so there's a lot of fear mongering that, that happened in congress a lot of arms were twisted because it did get voted down the first time and the second time it didn't well that yeah, martial law bigger. terminology is some something they use inside of congress for something that goes on in congress it's not martial no, I'm, law like I'm not talking about that I'm talking about they actually told congressmen that that there would be martial law declared on the american people because the economy would have collapsed if supposedly if they hadn't passed this bill that's what sounds like an excuse to me, Wayne, it sounds like they, well, I told the martial law would happen, well, so I had to vote for I think, it. I think that uh, Wayne's right that some of them have learned their lesson. I can, I can, I would be of the opinion that John some, Sununu, uh, the senator from New Hampshire, out, who right? got voted out, be, man, I think that he could, probably has the idea at this point that quite a few people voted against him who would have voted for him or voted, not against him, but uh, failed to vote for him, you know, when they might have because of this. And I think that he may have learned his lesson on that.
We'll yeah, but see. he's not in office anymore, so what's it matter? He'll, he'll run again. I bet you he runs for governor. Yeah, but we're talking about this bailout package that's coming up right now. I understand what you're talking right. about, but um, Wayne was making the point about... You're, you know, saying, that, you're saying the dog has been punished and that he'll be a better doggy in the future if he gets <laughs> reelected to you king better dog You better still position. keep an eye on him in the kitchen. 800-259-9231. Uh, so there you go. It's hard for me to get excited about things like this. I think that we'd be better off talking about secession. I think that would solve a lot of these problems. In fact, I've got a story about that. If we get a chance, we'll get to it. Uh, but first, let's talk innovation. This is a story from uh, Jeffrey Tucker at LouRockwell.com. And yes, I know, it's the intellectual property issue, again, on Free Talk Live. Uh, against intellectual monopoly, which is a, a book, dares to step out front on a topic very dear to our hearts to prove that the great role of patents in giving us modern software is unadulterated, uh, unadulterated fantasy. And they show this by reviewing the history of software innovation and its present workings. Neither Google, nor YouTube, nor any other driving force is using patents to retain competitive advantage. And those who do collect patents mostly do it in order to avoid patent trolls. For instance, those who would patent a technology already in use in order to possess and restrict its use. So this is uh, going to be a story about how maybe patents aren't really necessary for innovation. Those who support intellectual property, those who support patents, would like you to believe that if it weren't for patents, we wouldn't have the same kind of lifestyle, uh, you know, this luscious, lavish lifestyle that we have today. And it's the the people against intellectual monopoly are going to make the case otherwise. Uh, they would probably make the case that our lifestyles would be better without patents. Anyway, the lesson, however, applies far more broadly. Wealth in the Western world has been rising for a thousand years, and innovation along with it. And patents have played virtually no role whatsoever. The authors in Chapter 3 go more fully into the history of the patent to show that they originated out of kingly privilege associated with mercantilism, and that the legislation of the 17th and 18th centuries were forms of liberalization despite first appearances. It wasn't until the 19th century that the laws tightened again. Comprehensive intellectual property laws as they are today didn't make an appearance until the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. Taking the long view, we can see that even with a superficial look, that economic growth throughout the world has been in process for a thousand years, while patents are new and mostly very narrow until quite recently. We'll continue more on innovation. Your thoughts as well, 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want if you dial toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. You like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, become an amplifier at amp.freetalklive.com for as little as 3 bucks a month. We take that money in, reinvest it into the show, getting on more radio stations around the country, bringing more Internet listeners on board worldwide, and helping expose new people to the idea of freedom. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com. Get on board. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Uh, by the way, uh, getting a bit of information here that apparently the uh, the stimulus bill that we were talking about a, a few moments ago uh, with Robin in New Jersey has actually passed the House already. So it's already halfway there. $819 billion this <laughs> one is. Uh, it apparently just passed earlier today. If that's going to help. The vote was 244 to 188. 
So a pretty big margin there, and it uh, goes on to the Senate. So I guess you could still possibly try to stop this thing. Uh, again, uh, our friend there, Robin, from the Institute for Health Freedom, suggesting that people go to their website at forhealthfreedom.org and uh, get more information on what to do about this. But it seems like it's probably going to go through. 800-259-9231. So screw your health freedom. We continue here with uh, the story on innovation and whether or not patents are actually responsible for the, you know, the wonderful inventions that we have in front of us uh, to use and make our lives better with today. The people that wrote the book Against Intellectual Monopoly disagree. And Jeffrey Tucker at LeRockwell.com breaks some of it down for us. Talking about why is it that patents even entered the picture in the first place? Well, the rise of modern intellectual property is due to the lobbying of incumbent firms threatened with competition. It's a complete myth that patents give rise to innovation. The reverse, indeed, has been true. Innovation gives rise to patents. The authors offer this incredible challenge. Can anyone mention even one single case of a new industry emerging as a result of the protection of existing patent laws? We cannot. Strange coincidence, is it not? Examples. Services in the U.S. were not covered by patent until the 1990s. In Italy, pharmaceutical products and processes were not covered until 1978. In Switzerland, it was 1954. Agricultural seeds and plants were not effectively patented until 1977. But the greatest progress here occurred over the past 100 years. Basic sciences like math and physics cannot be patented. The tendency in the biological and life sciences toward patents is a very grave sign for the future of these sectors. The authors cite George Stigler in pointing out that patents did not assist automobiles, frozen foods, various electrical appliances and equipment, petroleum refining, incandescent lamps, radio, and uranium mining. Stigler further cites the mail order business, which revolutionized retailing as a case of patent-free development. Shall we go on? It helps to have the specifics that the authors provide. Ray Kroc's fast food franchise, better known as McDonald's, the 24-hour convenience store, home delivery of pre-cooked food, the suburban shopping mall, franchise everything from coffee to hairdressing, the various steps that make up the delivery business of UPS, Federal Express, and DHL, and obviously online commerce. That is, pretty much each and every innovation which, during the last half century, has had any lasting impact in the retail and distribution sector was not spurred or protected by patents. How, the, uh, how did the inventor of the cotton gin, Eli Whitney, become rich? Well, not through the cotton gin. He and his business partner took out a patent and spent their energies crushing their competition. They were trying to charge farmers two-fifths of their profits paid in the form of cotton. Farmers hated it and started to pirate the machine, and many competitive companies sprung up. Litigation followed and lasted from 1794 all the way through 1807. Nothing came of it but expensive time and energy, and not to mention lawyers' fees. The growth of cotton ginning in the South ended up owing more to the pirates than Eli Whitney. So where did Whitney get his money? How did he die rich? In 1798, he invented a process to manufacture muskets by machine. This time, he was uh, smart about it, and he sought no patent. He encouraged so-called piracy, that is, imitation. The industry took off, and he remained the leader through real innovation. What a blessed life to be rid of the stupid waste of using legal means to crush the competition and instead devote yourself to doing good for others and making money at the same time. Here's the section in which the authors tell the story of agriculture. Before 1930, there was no patent protection. The very period in which the U.S. became so productive in agriculture that the entire population shifted in its main industrial focus. 
After 1930, law granted only patents for narrow range of,、uh, for a narrow range of plants. It wasn't until 1970 that the Plant Variety Protection Act extended protection to sexually produced plants, and not until the 1980s when protection was extended to biotechnology. So we have a test case, and the authors measure innovation using total factor productivity. They find no increase after patents, and even some disturbing data oscillations. In corn, in particular, the astounding increase in yields occurred before patents, and have nearly leveled off since patents.、Hmm. Two splashing examples of amazing innovation are now introduced in the book. In the area of Almeria, Spain, or the area of Almeria, Spain, was an unusable desert from the beginning of time until 1963, when an unpatented greenhouse was introduced into the area. The greenhouse was copied and copied and spread all over the region. The results can be seen from space with color photos reproduced in the book. The entire region was transformed from desolate to rich in the course of just two decades. The same process took place in Treviso, Italy, where the reed-to-color sweater was introduced by the Benenton family, and the process was imitated and spread to change an entire region in the absence of patents. Other examples include financial services, no patents there; fashion, no patents there; and advertising, not patents and copyrights are ineffective. These are the leading examples of innovation in the modern age. This section is so compelling that, so far as I'm concerned, the book could end here. But if patents really are that irrelevant, why don't the captains of industry realize it? Well, it turns out that they do. Two surveys in modern times asked R&D heads what techniques are most effective in realizing gains from innovation. It turns out they regard the patent as the least effective means. The authors conclude this mind-blowing chapter with a long discussion of patent pools. There are cases in which companies relinquish patents in order to establish sharing agreements. It's a way of stepping sideways toward what the market would just give us anyway. So the company's getting together basically and saying, "Okay, well, let's just agree to forget about these patent things and move、hmm. ahead." Companies live and breathe by innovation. Innovation and monopoly are just not compatible. We're back to an old lesson that remains true: it is the market and all that comes with it, not laws granting exclusive privileges to produce, that gives、uh, that gives rise to innovation. I'll end with a statement from Mises himself: "The great monopoly problem mankind has to face today is not an outgrowth of the operation of the market economy; it's a product of pur- purposive action on the part of governments. It's not one of the evils inherent in capitalism, as the demagogues trumpet. It is, on the contrary, the fruit of policies hostile to capitalism and intent upon sabotaging and destroying its operations." Sometimes those most hostile to capitalism are the capitalists themselves. So the book is called "Against Intellectual Monopoly," and so those of you who are interested in learning more should go and check that one out. It sounds like it's a real winner. Well, it, it sounds like using patents is really a mercantilistic practice because you're basically using the government to prevent competition by saying that you have the first claim on that when you may not have even really invented it. You just happen to file it first. And there's a lot of that stuff that goes on in the the patent industry. There essentially are operations run exclusively by lawyers that their job is to dupe inventors from their inventions and then essentially just、uh, hold on to them. Yeah, lock them up. So, what kind of innovations would we see today if it weren't for for patents? Well, you, you, healthcare would be much less expensive because think of all the drug patents out there that are bogus. Oh yeah, and then you have to wait 15 years before somebody can come up with the generic version of one、oh, of those pills. I'm not a. I'm I'm a, I'm for、uh, you know a free market and everything essentially, but drugs and movies. I think that、uh, you would see 
you know, big changes in those particular areas that uh, that, that may, may result in bad stuff for uh, other people. But those are, you know, those are the two areas that uh, I would see some kind of intellectual property protection for. I don't see that the government should necessarily be involved in it, but I don't know how that it would work without the government. 800-259-9231. I can't agree at all. Uh, I mean, it's certainly I'm glad you're saying you don't want the government to be involved because intellectual property protection is essentially the government threatening competition by saying, well, you better not take your resources and form them in the same way that these other guys formed their resources or else we're going to come hurt you. Well, I've got an email here from uh, a, you know a pharmaceutical guy who uh, would like to take issue with uh, what you have to say about uh, pharmaceuticals. Okay, go ahead. No, it's it's it's, it's going to go longer than the uh, the segment. All right. Well, eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one is the number for you. You're welcome to chime in here. Of course, he's going to take the side of patents. He believes that they're protecting his job. He That's believes right. they're protecting his industry, and he's probably right. Uh, I, I think that people should be able to get in and compete and reverse engineer products and attempt to market them better and manufacture them more efficiently. But of course, Mark, you're taking the uh, you know the side of the state, and we'll see what he has to say for himself here in a few moments. Yes. I'm, I'm sure that most people in the state would disagree with my position, which is to eliminate patents, copyrights, and trademarks on, you know, not, not trademarks. but Except uh, for the areas where you think they're important. And, of course, there are going to be other areas where other people think they're important because that's their established interest. More coming up. Hour three's on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. Just dial toll-free. Here as we launch an hour number three of the program. The number is 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 800-259-9231, and it is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com, the features we give away. So enjoy those on us. Again, that is freetalklive.com. So last hour, we began a topic about intellectual property. The uh, story was a... a Article from LouRockwell.com reviewing a book called Against Intellectual, uh, I think it was Against Intellectual Monopoly or Property, I don't have it in front of me right now, but they were basically pointing out that patents are slowing innovation, and all of the evidence uh, proves it, uh, essentially, that patents have uh, slowed innovation, that innovation was bustling and happening before patents, and now it's just completely um, almost killed it. Uh, but we, we continue with this topic, Mark, because you got an email from somebody who is in one of those protected industries, uh, one of the industries that is well protected by patents and government monopoly protection, and that is the pharmaceutical industry. So here he's going to fight for his job. Go ahead. I'd like to hear this. So this is, uh, well, it's, it's not signed, so I'm not going to mention who it's from. <laughs> um, gentlemen, I'm a first-year student at the University of Florida's College of Pharmacy, just beginning to work on my PharmD. I'm sure they're telling him all about how important patents are. Well, oh, yeah. you know, the, the thing is, is when <laughs> the, the, a lot of times it's the students that know more about the industry than, uh, you know, other people because they're learning about it. Um, from their that, socialist teachers. Yes, and they're being indoctrinated into the whole um, paradigm of the, of the they're drinking the Kool-Aid of the industry. Industry, so to speak. I've mm-hmm. called myself a libertarian for over six years now, but 
am new to the idea that there would be no intellectual property. Attached is a copy of lecture from how the new drug approval process is achieved. Through the FDA and DEA, um, though the, although the FDA and DEA increase costs by large, uh, patents are essential to keep research going. I understand the desire to use natural cures, but there are, uh, there are few to treat many of the modern t- uh, time diseases. In the early 1900s, when the true pharma, uh, pharmacotherapies were developed, treatments were uh, for inve- infectious diseases. Now the focus is on treatment for chronic diseases that were previously unseen, but have, come, have become more common due to the lengthening of life expectancy. The days of accidentally finding cures like penicillin and lithium are long over. Modern drugs and therapies must be developed from scratch with advanced formulation and synthesis techniques developed by years of research. And this is what is my biggest concern about doing away with patent laws in the area of uh, you know drugs and movies is something entirely different. But for different reasons, I have uh, – and patents don't affect movies, uh, copyrights do, but intellectual property in those um, arenas – is because, you know, if it was incremental, and, and some drug research is incremental. You learn a little bit about this drug, that, you know, people can use it and they learn more. I think that there's all kinds of problems with the patent laws on drugs and the, the process by which they're approved and all that stuff. But if you say if you had a scenario where a company, uh, you know, needed, could find the cure for cancer, and let's say, Wayne, that that cure did not exist already. Um, the cure for cancer was... You know, could be found, but it would cost them $30 trillion in R&D in order to come up with this cure. Well, if they couldn't have some kind of reasonable recourse in recouping that money, rather than somebody going out there reverse engineering for, you know, a million dollars, reverse engineering what, they're, uh, what they've done, and then competing with them on the same level, that's going to make it. That's going to make that not, you know disincentivize that company. To well, aren't they already the, disincentivized by the fact that there's limited competition and they've got more interest in giving the cancer patients something to keep popping rather than something to cure them? We have. Uh, the, I, I I see that point, Ian. But mostly, what that's from is from the FDA. It's not from patents. It's from the process that is supposed to protect us. Now you can patent poison, Ian. Um, so that's not particularly the <laughs> right. Absolutely. In a lot of cases, drugs. <laughs> are limited sort of poisons. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm all for natural cures when they can be used, but you, do, do you see what I'm saying? The FDA is there to protect you, and it costs, what, what how much does it cost to get through the FDA? About billions, About I think. A, I think, yeah, it's over a billion dollars, I think, just to get through the FDA. In some cases, yeah. That, that keeps the amount of people in the arena from competing. That's not patent law. That's something entirely different. But the whole, the whole idea of drugs is basically one paradigm in treating people, and there are many. And mm-hmm. a, a good friend of mine who you've met is a doctor, but he's, uh, he's a naturopathic MD, you might call him. And he, he's been exposed to both schools of thought. And one thing he said one day that was really interesting is he said that that whole paradigm of, of natural, I'm sorry, of, of the traditional, um, conventional so-called medicine is based on Newtonian physics, you know, two balls bouncing together. Whereas some of the newer sciences that are very innovative are based on quantum physics which uh, takes uh, is multidimensional and, and mm-hmm. it's actually more sophisticated and it's a lot less expensive as well and doesn't really involve patents. So we'll have to have him on the show one time and he can tell us more about it because he knows a lot more about it than I do. It sounds good. Let's go on with this email. Keep in mind that there is, uh, m- there's much about human physiology that's still not known. 
many diseases are considered idiopathic, and there's no way to prevent them until we know what is causing them. Research for microbiology, pharmacology, pathophysiology is expensive because it requires sophisticated technologies like fluorescent and electron microscopes, MRIs, laboratory staff, and various analysis equipment. Obviously, the cost of research would be reduced if there were no taxes on equipment or the production of equipment. However, the undeniable fact remains that spending money on research and development will always cost more than not spending money on research and development. Thus, generic drug companies will always have a startup advantage of sitting on, sitting around and waiting for someone else to do the work and then taking the fruits of someone else's labor and profiting from them. This is why a patent system is essential in keeping the drug drug research going. Same old story. Every industry, every time, every industry that's you know believes they're protected by the patents will say the same things as this guy is saying. Well, we need the patents there because uh, we need to make sure that we've got the money to do R and D, and nobody comes and takes our ideas from us. And look, I mean, the reality is that uh, the, the patents slow down innovation, and that in the absence of patents, innovation costs less because you don't have to pay for a bunch of patent attorneys and deal with the the, the patent legal process and all. Of that, there are a lot of factors in the the legal realm that come into play when you're when you're dealing with patents. And I'm sorry, I mean, just to, to sit there and speculate and say, well, what if this, the cure for cancer costs thirty trillion dollars? See, that's why we need patents. I mean, it's really it's you're absurd. Just, you're just yeah. trying to scare people, Mark. It is absurd because uh, having innovation and real competition, as you've said earlier on this show, drives down costs. So exactly. I don't believe it for a moment that it would cost thirty trillion dollars. And if it and if it costs a lot of money to do this research, then the market will shift in ways that would would give the money to, that's necessary to these research yes, organizations. Yeah, absolutely technology is driven by um, you know, the price of technology is driven down, but you just don't know what it's going to take in order to find these things out. Would you agree that something out there is going to cost uh, in the drug area to to cure something is going to cost a lot of money in R&D? I, yeah, I don't know what a lot means. I certainly don't think it's 30 trillion dollars. Well, that's because, but you were talking out of your Anal you were the one that started by talking out of your anal orifice by suggesting it would cost thirty trillion dollars to cure cancer. I put a hypothetical up, and I'm just saying that you know here's something okay, people want to see the, cancer. The question cured. here is: Can someone who invents something and spends a considerable investment make money and get their investment back? And I still think they can. I, I do believe. Now, of course, there are abs- absurd amounts of money spent sometimes in, 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 on these things, but. You know, th- there might be a whole new paradigm or a new, whole new approach that's that's done to keep the cost of R and D down too, where they, you know, everything is is blown apart and they actually see something they didn't see before because in an effort to use their resources more wisely to get their money back. So I don't completely buy that whole argument because I mean I have an uncle who who was a pharmacy professor and he was the head of a department in a major university and we've talked about this many times and he's he's actually testified in in IP cases in court in, in favor of or, or you know for a, a drug company and and so much of this stuff is is unbelievable i can't even go into it on the air right now but um i i, I just don't buy a lot of those arguments that they that they uh, project about um, the need for all these patent protections and i've even seen some dog and pony shows in the senate where drug company executives are trying to extend patent protection even further than what they are now and and why it's just it's no different from the cab uh, the cab driver organizations or the cab organizations out there lobbying to make sure that the cab restrictions and regulations stay in effect. Oh God, we can't have people just out there running around picking people up and dropping them off because well it's dangerous or whatever the excuses that they use. We can't do that. It's going to put people at risk or we're we're not going to be able to do our business in the way we used to. And the you know the fact is that people should be able to compete and people should be able to innovate and they should be able 
to borrow ideas. And if you don't want your ideas to be borrowed, then you should uh, keep them real close to yourself. How about open source? People are making money on Linux. Why can't you have an open source uh, medical system? You could if you didn't have this patent system to deal with. Those things are incremental, not like uh, the example I uh, gave earlier. Uh, I'm not sure what the point is you're making. You can come back and make it in a moment. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can bring up what you want if you dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. It's Wayne and Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. We give away the features. Uh, Those features include the Shrine of Female Listeners, dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. Head over to shrine.freetalklive.com and see it for yourself. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. Have the stories of civil disobedience here in New Hampshire touched, moved, and inspired you, but you're unable for whatever reason to be involved? Well, now you can with the Civil Disobedience Evolution Fund at cdevolution.org. It allows you to care for these brave men and women by financially supporting them while they face down the organizations that operate through violence and coercion. cdevolution.org. You can go there. You can get signed up with a monthly subscription. Uh, or we've added a new option uh, to an easy way for you to send some money over to cdevolution.org. Decided to, Mark, uh, you and I have decided to send the money from Newegg yeah. over to cdevolution.org. So we've mentioned on the show in the past that if you shop at newegg.freetalklive.com to buy your computer parts uh, and computer e things, that a percentage will go to Free Talk Live. Well, we've decided that that money's now going to go to Newegg. In fact, Free Talk Live hasn't ever even gotten a check from Newegg yet. It's all been the money kind of building up. That, uh, yeah, that all the money that's uh, you know that comes through Newegg. And basically, we picked up Newegg because uh, you know, Amazon's good and, and offers us a, a good percentage and everything. But there's certain computer parts that you just can't get through Amazon. So Newegg was a, a good choice for. It was in know, demand by the listeners. Yeah, so we did yeah that's, they asked us to, and so we responded. And uh, I, I, it, we're going to be giving that money all to the CD Evolution Fund. The first check's going to be something like 600 bucks, I think. So it's going to go straight to Cha-ching. the CD Evolution. Yeah, so cdevolution.org. Uh, but it's been, I think it's been, what, six months or something like that? And they were supposed to pay it out quarterly, but uh, whatever. It took a while to build up enough money for it to actually get the payout, uh, essentially. And so... Yeah, um, it's a good thing it took a while because now all that money is going to cdevolution.org. But uh, you can go and uh, financially support them directly with a PayPal subscription at cdevolution.org. 800-259-9231. We talked to Karen in D.C. Karen, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Well, I'm a patent attorney, and I have dealt with the pharmaceutical industry from time to time, but not as a person working for a pharmaceutical company. Okay. When when I first started in this area, which is about almost 30 years ago, um, I always thought that they needed the patents so that they could invest in uh, further research and innovation. But after I befriended people in the industry, mm-hmm. I, I realized they do need the patents, but there needs to be limits on their um, spending on uh, marketing. There are li- limits on spending on marketing. What do you mean by that? To um, the doctors and the other areas. You know, brother-in-law who's a doctor, and that's where I learned that how much they spend on marketing to him. I don't know how many sets of China he got, how many trips to France and the Caribbean. Well, I don't understand. Why are you calling for limits on marketing? What, what's the reason for it? Well, you were talking about limits on doing patents. 
Well, I'm patents. talking about getting rid of patents, but Mark is uh, one know. in favor of them. Okay, well, patents are in the Constitution. That much is I true. really don't care, but okay. <laughs> well, they recognize the value of them. Benjamin Franklin has quite a few of them. And he had a lot of advances of course, protectionists in, among are going other to... areas, the steel, uh, the steel industry. I understand that protectionists are going to value patents because it protects them from competition. So certainly there are always going to be people who are calling for patents. But why is it that you're saying that, okay, well, patents are fine. Let's move on beyond that and talk about uh, marketing restrictions. What is it, what's your point on that? Oh, my per- point on that is patents people put into uh, a lot of money into research and development. I have many small clients who put in... 90% of their company's income into developing technologies, and they want to protect them because without that, then somebody comes by and in six months sees it and copies it, and they're out all that money. And their competitors... Typical sob story. What? Typical sob story. This you is know, what we hear from anybody that supports... It's what we hear from everybody that supports My partner doesn't... You know, his highest and only priority is what he calls freedom. What, and as far as he's concerned, people can die. Children can be filleted and crucified as long That's as right, Mark. That's what will happen in the freedom. absence of patents. <laughs> That's right, oh, Mark, I'm not, whatever. I mean, obviously you don't want to... If You can't make a good argument against uh, you know, some big outlay on R&D. So as all you do is keep on going I back made to several arguments. I made, I made several arguments. I pointed out that patents, uh, when, in the absence of patents, innovation was alive and well, and that innovation has slowed. Innovation uh, with, in a great deal of those instances, at all of those instances that I can come up with, is incremental. You're not talking about incremental innovation. You're talking about big sweeping. You know, they have to do all kinds of stuff to try new things. I'm pretty sure that all innovation is incremental, Mark. I'm not sure what the point is you're making. But, uh, but you not all is, and I, you have not shown every any evidence at all for saying that innovation is increasing in the absence of patents. Uh, there's a book that we were talking about a few moments ago that uh, points it out, and I can pull it up again for you if you'd like. I'll, I'll give you the title here in a moment. Yeah, you know, I see what she's saying about advertising in the sense that, yeah, they can do whatever they want with the money, but they're, they're saying that they need the, this patent protection to pay for the R&D when really they're spending a lot of money on advertising and marketing and sales expenses that uh, they're using the patents to also pay for. Is that what you, what you were trying to get at with that? Yes, I, I understood after being involved with these people and dealing with people in the pharmaceutical industry for a long time that patents are very expensive, but they're just maybe maybe a third of the budget for this. Right. So you're saying more controls is what is necessary in order to uh, make the industry work the way you think it should. Is that my is my understanding correct? I'm just saying that maybe you should remove tax incentives for spending it on marketing. If they want to do it, fine, but why should we subsidize it? I'm with right. that. I'm not in favor of subsidizing anything, and I thank you for the call. 800-259-9231. The book is called Against Intellectual Monopoly. Our authors, Michelle Boldrin and David Levin, or Levine. It is available at Mises.org, and there's an entire chapter, the ninth chapter, 
dedicated to the pharmaceutical industry. So if you want to go and do your own digging, that would seem to be the place to do it. That looks like a good book to have on on one's bookshelf. Because I've I've kind of in the past been on the side of intellectual property, but there's been a lot of really good arguments against it now where I'm kind of going the other way. Oh, I've heard a lot of good arguments against it, too, and I have gone almost completely the other way. The only areas that I'm, you know, would be interested in seeing a patent, um, patents preserved is drugs, and the only area that I would be interested in seeing copyright um, preserved is in movies, because I'm scared that uh, kids will die if we don't have movies. You're scared that if there are no patents on drugs, that all of a sudden people are going to start dying in the streets. I think that it's unfair to people um, who have built their lives in, uh, in an industry that, yes, has enjoyed a certain amount of protection to just wipe that industry off the face of the map because of your um, ideological belief oh, in freedom. it's unfair, is it, because they've been enjoying monopoly protection for decades? It's unfair to just take that away monopoly from them? Monopoly protection oh, on an idea that they made and, uh, and a product that they produced so that people can't steal it out from under them, You Ian? know what? There's a lot of them that it's aren't worth stealing. stealing. Look it how would many. be if it was a damn paperclip off your desk. You'd have their hand off. But when it comes to ones and zeros, it's not stealing. Ideas cannot be stolen, only borrowed. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up what you want. And if you've got thoughts on the intellectual property or uh, story, you're certainly welcome to share them with us. This is Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live, it is your show. You can bring up, well, whatever you want, toll-free at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features on the site we give away, so enjoy those on us. Uh, by the way, those features include all kinds of neat things like the live streams, go to broadband version of the show, a dial-up version, a webcam, and more. All free for you at listen.freetalklive.com. That is listen.freetalklive.com. So we're talking about intellectual property, and there's a book out called Against Intellectual Monopoly. And I was actually just moments ago uh, doing a Google search for it. Uh, I I mentioned to you that it is available in print form over on Mises.org, but a quick Google search actually reveals that one of the authors apparently has put it up on her website for free. In PDF form. Wow. So I haven't had a chance to, to dig through it, but we were just talking about how Chapter 9 was about the pharmaceutical industry, and there's Chapter 9 right there linked to uh, on her website. So Against Intellectual Monopoly, search uh, search for that one on Google, and you'll probably find it for free. 800-259-9231, which, of course, makes sense. What author would write a book called Against Intellectual Monopoly and then go ahead and copyright it? <laughs> so we continue here uh, with your phone calls about what you want. It's Gene in Tennessee on the amp line. Hello, Gene. Oh, hi there. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk to Mark the fascist there. (laughs) Here I am a fascist again. (laughs) Yeah, and tell him how fast I was driving home today from the office. Let's see, I was going 15 to 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. I rolled through every stop sign. Uh, I don't bother to stop for him unless there's either one of those gang members in blue or, uh, or 
if there's too much traffic. Gene, so I, I, I'm, I'm not against that. That's that's not what I was saying. And if if that's what it made it, if I made it sound like, then you know I, I failed to communicate it to you. I'm not saying that you should never go above the speed limit. I go above the speed limit all the time, and sometimes I've gone and consider it a good idea to go 20 miles an hour above the speed limit. And I'm sure that there are times when even higher is is called for. And well, I don't think that stop have signs. Your little hand slapped. <laughs> I don't think that stop signs are, uh, you know, very effective. I think that they're j- really just revenue generating devices. But I think that a person should come, you know, should be able to 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 see b- both ways and know whether or not it's safe to go through an intersection. But I don't think you necessarily have to come to a full and complete stop and rock back before you're so really able to come up with that. However, going down a narrow street, um, you know, when it's cold out and, and li- liable to be some snow and ice on the road, um, with cars lined up on both sides. Besides, you know how dangerous that can be in a residential area, Gene. I just did it, yeah, so I know how dangerous <laughs> it is because the roads that I was driving on were narrow, two-lane roads. And, uh, With cars along the side? The, yeah, along the side, no. These were uh, country roads, but the cars right. on the opposite side coming at me. Were, You're much uh, more likely to hit a tree in that circumstance than you are a car or uh, you know, someone else's property or someone else. No, your biggest uh, your biggest hazard is the oncoming car, and uh, they were going just as fast as I was. So, um, well, we the, were talking about an instance is, that's different than um, you know than what it is that you're talking about. But go ahead, Gene. But the thing is, it's what's important is that the driver is attentive to what's going on and that they're able to handle the vehicle. And I agree with even you. Even at that, even at that, you can't regulate uh, people being um, competent to to drive their vehicles. All you can do is go out there like a bunch of gangbangers and steal people's money. That's all you can do. You're never going to be able to regulate uh, people into behaving themselves. Either people behave themselves or they don't. And if they don't, in something situ- in a situation like driving, they're going to kill themselves. And they, find, they found, I believe, that uh, d- deterrence, what are supposedly deterrent-style punishments, actually don't really do anything to deter people. Whether yeah, whether no, you're punishing I, somebody with death or a long jail sentence or a fine, it doesn't really do anything to lessen the amount of people that commit those crimes. And I mentioned a while back that I started flying again, and I have in my hands here the uh, what's called the FAR AIM 2009, in other words, the Federal Aviation Regulations. And it's a nice, big, fat book. And uh, you know how much of it I know? Most of it? I, I don't know. Hardly any of it. One percent? Are you kidding me? I don't <laughs> think the people that wrote this book know what's in this book not likely but at any rate one thing that's that's more realistic about flying than driving is that when you fly an airplane at least the regulations say that as pilot in command the buck stops with you you're the final judge uh of whether or not you're going to follow any rules and regulations so in in at least in flying they tell you that here's the regulations and here's the rules but if you're in a situation where you think that you, it's safer to break those rules, you go ahead and break them. But they may take you to task later on and try to do something to you. But, I mean, if you say, well, my engine was sputtering and, and uh, you know, I couldn't, uh, I had to land the plane, so I had to go through this uh, airspace over George Bush's ranch hmm. to land my plane, all they're going to do is, you know, they, they, they can't really question you. You are the pilot in command, and you make the final judgment. But in an automobile... They don't give you that same kind of responsibility. They say, well, it doesn't matter what you were doing. You broke the rules. And now you must pay, sucker. And now you must pay. 
So yeah. at least in, in flying, you have a little bit more common sense. But uh, Interesting thoughts tonight, Gene. Any other, uh, anything else on your mind? Uh, down with stop signs. I'm with you there. Thanks for the call, dude. 800-259-9231. Even Mark agrees with the stop sign thing. Well, generally, right? And I think there are some places where a yield sign would be appropriate. Well, I mean, it's it's obvious that somebody should be responsible. Uh, you know, somebody should yield the right of way at an intersection where there's going to be cars coming. Somebody has to yield the right of way. And I think Americans are, are pretty used to the idea of having road signs around. And uh, Julia and I were actually talking about this today because we had a. It's a snowy day here in New Hampshire. There's a snow, what they call a storm, going on right now, yeah. which just basically means snow. Um, and she was pointing out that at her business, which is a restaurant uh, chain she works for, nobody comes out and eats. During snow day. So apparently people just stay in because, for whatever reason, they believe that it's a bad idea to, to drive somewhere. Well, it's, it's dangerous on the roads right now. I, I tell you, I was plowing my driveway. I can't even move my truck. out. Of, it's right in the middle of the front of my driveway. It's not going anywhere. It's this possible. It's a four-wheel drive with chains on it. Well, it's possible to get where you're going. We're in a city, so it's not like you're out in the, the countryside. I've or been stuck like at your house, too. Right up on the, a big mound of snow that you drove yourself up onto. Uh, so Just anyway, saying, if happen. you're cautious, if you're careful driving where you need to go, you'll get there. But wh- what we were thinking about when we were driving is that, well, if they haven't cleared the roads entirely, then what you're dealing with is essentially a situation where there are no lines in the road. Yes, they're, that's they're, true. They're, you, just, you, you see people coming, and you don't go in <laughs> their way. I mean, it's, it's really like anarchy on the roads, basically, because you don't have the same kind of traffic controlling signage and things like that. I mean, even the signs themselves can be uh, whited out with snow. Certainly license plates and things like that are completely whited out with, uh, with snow. The, the street, you can't see lines or anything like that. Police cars are all white. It's uh, it's a different situation. It's a it's a really unique situation to be driving in. And we were thinking, just sort of speculating out loud, that maybe maybe Americans are just so used to having lines to stay within that not having those lines makes them very frightened. It makes them very nervous about traveling. <laughs> Um, yes, no. the roads are slippery, too. I stay too. off the roads generally when the snow you know, hits, unless I've got to come to work or whatever, unless I have a good reason to go someplace. And I am not nervous because the lines are gone. I'm not saying you are, Mark, but I'm saying maybe I, there are some people that are that way. There may be some. However, you, you know, it seems like a broad sweeping generalization that uh, you know, just is based on ide- ideological beliefs and has really nothing to do with reality. Just speculation, that's all. We continue with Stephen in Colorado. Idle speculation. Stephen, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Steve. Hi there. You're on the air. What's on your mind? Well, two things, and one, one really quickly. Uh, on that uh, technical um, question about your website, you have that uh, wiki on there. I just wondered um, how much of a pain is that to maintain, or is it not a pain at all? I don't do anything. Off? I don't do anything to maintain it. There are a few listeners that are amplifiers that have administrative access to it. Honestly, I don't even know if they're doing much of anything to maintain it. I, my answer is I have no idea. Is that the music? It is. Did you have more? Oh, I, I do. I have another All right, question. Hang on. We'll bring back Stephen. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. By the way, I pulled up the Against Intellectual Monopoly book here. Maybe I can pick out a few choice paragraphs we'll share with you if we get a chance. Your calls are the primary element, however, 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk. 
Talk Live. You can bring up anything if you dial toll-free 800-259-9231. Only moments remain. Just enough time for your call if you make it right now. 800-259-9231. And it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. If you enjoy this program and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can do so by learning how to promote the show. Head over to promote.freetalklive.com. Get a whole list of things you can do. Most of them are pretty simple and free. Uh, to help get Free Talk Live into more ears around the world, go to promote.freetalklive.com. As we go back to Steve in Colorado. Steve, you're back on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Well, you know, um, a while back, I'm not sure when, a month or two, you you guys were talking about how people can change. Uh, Mark used himself as an example. And uh, back in the early and mid-1990s, I, I was in the Coast Guard, and at that time, uh, I was pretty liberal and I was getting more and more liberal as I as as time went on towards the end of my my time in the guard and I used to be friends with the guy that I used to debate with all the time uh we recently found each other again on Facebook uh and it turns out that back then he was a uh a uh, a neocon essentially you know mm-hmm. now he considers himself to be a conservative libertarian and uh, I was just, you know, I was going to call him up and talk to him uh, right before I called the show, but uh, I, I couldn't find his number. But um, anyway, the uh, the point is, is that I was just going to marvel at the fact that he now considers himself a libertarian or a conservative libertarian or whatever. Well, so does Neil uh, Bortz. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, but but he's, he's checking out his Facebook and looking at his comments on various topics. He seems to be on the right side of of most of the issues. So he's moving in the uh, right direction, and it's, uh, were you marveling at the fact that he could make a similar change? Because you yourself have moved in that similar direction from the that's liberal what, side. That's what I, I was going to get at, exactly. I was going to call him up and say, man, I can't believe it. But then again, you know, uh, back in 1995, the last time we saw each other, heck, I was a Ralph Nader-loving liberal guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess we have we have all made the change. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there about people... People, you know, how they can change. Boy, I sure like to take credit for that, but heck, I didn't tell him anything except for how gun control was great and things like that. That's all we talked about back Hmm. then, you know? (laughs) Interesting observations that uh, both of you, though you started in different political positions, have ended up in a similar one. Exactly. I just think it's fantastic. I can't wait to get a hold of him and talk to him. Well, the ideas of freedom do make sense. They are logically consistent, and the more you hear them from the more places you hear, uh, or in the more places you hear them, and the more often you hear them, uh, the more likely you are to come on board. And so it's just more evidence that uh, these ideas are persuasive, and they make sense, and they're moral, and I thank you for the call, Stephen. 800-259-9231, and we continue with Gabriel in Florida. Gabriel, you are on Free Talk Live. Hello? Hey, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, I got an email. You read my email on the air earlier tonight. This and is I just wanted to see if which there was anything I can clarify that I, maybe I didn't make clear. The pharmaceutical email? Yeah, that's correct. Gabriel's yeah. uh, first first year uh, pharmacological student uh, at the University of Florida. So, okay, um, you you wanted to make any points, or you were just asking if we had questions for clarification? Yeah, if you had any questions for clarification, I heard you guys discussing a little bit earlier. I just barely tuned in. I do not. Well, um, you know, I basically, um, really the only, you know, we've been debating back and forth. My uh, partner here knows uh, little but uh, about the, uh, the, the, the point of uh, you know, intellectual property in the area of um, pharmaceuticals. He does, know, however, know that he believes in freedom every issue, every time. And uh, so, 
you know, damn what you have to say uh, as far as he's concerned. Yeah, and I really, really, I don't really care too much what the... He doesn't the, care about the facts, Gabriel. The professors, no, just because a professor spouts something off in front of a college class doesn't make it a fact necessarily. I'm not too interested in what they have to say. I'd be more interested in hearing uh, how it is that intellectual property is not necessary in that industry, because I've heard all of the arguments as to why it is it is necessary, and it's always the same arguments over and over again from every single uh, person in any industry that's being protected by the intellectual uh, monopoly system of patents. And so what I think would be most interesting is if you took the time uh, to go and look at the counter-arguments uh, against what it is your professors are saying and bring it up to uh, to see what they have to say. That would be kind of interesting. Uh, go and take a look at Chapter 9 of Against Intellectual Monopoly, which is 31 pages uh, with citations that will essentially refute everything that your professors have said, I bet. Well, the lecture I attacked wasn't about necessarily an argument for or against, but simply the application process and how drugs become approved in this country. So obviously, if we're going to keep this totalitarian approach to drug approval and government regulation, there needs to be some kind of way to make some sort of profit. Why can't private companies test drugs? And... There's nothing stopping the charity groups from making drugs right now. So the question then becomes, why aren't they? There's nothing stopping them from making drugs, with the exception of perhaps, though I don't know, the FDA and its regulatory process? You don't think that's pretty easy yeah, to get through, do you? Gabriel, um, he's, uh, he, he asked you a question, Gabriel. You having trouble with your phone there? Sounds like it. Thanks for the call. 800-259-9231. Look, I've got the article here, or not the article, but the 31-page PDF. Um, you went to the website. It's dklevine.com? Yes, I believe so. D-K-L-E-V-I-N-E is where you can find this entire book, Against Intellectual Monopoly, is what it's called. And obviously, in 31 pages, there's a lot of information here. There's no way I'm going to be able to boil any of it down or, or sample anything uh, explicitly here. But there is a summary paragraph in the very beginning on page three that says, in fact, we will see, uh, or excuse me, rather they say that the pharmaceutical industry is a complicated beast to vivisect, which can be approached from many contradictory angles and viewpoints. We will stick to ours, narrow that it may be, and ask how strong is the case for patents in pharmaceuticals? Is there substantial evidence that without patents we would not have the medicines that we have, as some would claim, or at least we would have a lot fewer and worse medicines? Would the industry shut down and talent move to some other more rewarding enterprise if patents on drugs were more or less abolished? That is, if all the world became like Switzerland until 1978 or Italy until a year later? In fact, we shall see that while Big Pharma is not necessarily the monster that some would depict it as, the case for patents in pharmaceuticals is a lot weaker than most people think. And so, apparently, even under the most favorable circumstances, patents are not necessarily good for society, for consumers, or in this case, for sick people. Patents are good for monopolists, but that much we knew already. And then they go into 30 pages of explanation and detail backing up their claims. That's right. You know, I think that a lot of this would take care of itself if, if the drug industry competed on an even playing field with other modalities. The problem right now is that they have a lot of political clout and they've legislated a lot of competition away. One of the tools they point. use to do that Absolutely. is patents. But if they competed on a level playing field with all the other inventions that can come out there that are non-drug as well, then there's going to be a lot of drugs that won't be developed because there's a lot of malinvestment in the drug industry as well. Look at all the drugs that come out and, and they're through shady approval processes. And then a year later, all these people die and they pull it up from the market. Well, the FDA approved it. Why isn't it safe? Isn't it? I mean, it should be safe. So a lot of this stuff is, is absurd, but I think you could take care of it just by 
this legislation, for example, where to, if, if there's a disease, only a drug can cure it. That's the law right now. Yeah, right. If you find out that a, a particular root from a plant will cure cancer, you can't put that root on the marketplace and market it and say this will cure cancer. Even if you have studies, you can't say right, that. You can't, you can't say it. it cures something. You can only make structure function claims, and they're even trying to crack down on that stuff now. Yeah, yep. they're making it very difficult uh, for the natural remedies to compete, and I absolutely agree that they should be able to compete. And it's, you know, I wouldn't argue for the FDA. Um, I think the FDA is a, you know, is a dinosaur of a system that was we didn't need in the first place, and um, likely, and, and and absolutely has killed more people than it's saved by tenfold, if not more. What my argument would be was simply for a patent process of some sort, and not one as arduous and difficult as the, the one we currently have in the area of pharmaceuticals. By the way, I'm being given another link here that will be useful for people looking into more of this uh, sort of information. Againstmonopoly.org is a website that brings together all kinds of authors who are interested in this topic. Uh, we've had Stephen Kinsella on this show before. He's called in. Yes. He's a listener to the program. Uh, he's definitely somebody who is firmly against intellectual monopoly, and he himself is a patent attorney, uh, Mr. Levine uh, from this from the book we're talking about, Michelle Boldrin, and a handful of other authors all there uh, together at AgainstMonopoly.org. We continue with your phone calls. You can bring up anything. We talk to Ryan in Virginia. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Ryan. Hey, I just had a question mostly from Mark, actually, because uh, he's a new dad. Uh, I got uh, a kid on the way, and the wife is uh, deathly afraid that my liberty-friendly views are going to uh, break the child in some fashion. To break him? How is that possible? Like, what, what, is, what, is, what, are, what are her imaginations? Well, first off, uh, she's worried that um, in saying that the police should be out there, you know, catching criminals, and maybe I, maybe I overstate my, my case to a certain extent and, and portray them as thugs. As at times, and uh, she's afraid that that'll make the kid unwilling to, to go to the police when it's uh, you know a life and death situation for them. Or, or maybe uh, walk up to one of them and says, my daddy says that you're just a bunch of thugs. I wish we could talk more about it. Maybe you should call tomorrow and bring this up. We are out of time. Thank you for the call tonight. SACL CAI brings you this show. You need collections done. Get in touch with them. SACL CAI. See you tomorrow night online in the meantime at Free Talk Live. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.